Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Texas Podcast Massacre, where we talk about horror movies and horror movies and whores. I'm just kidding. No, I'm your host, Hank Rodriguez, and of course, joined me via Zoom are our horror experts and connoisseurs. Uh, slick back hair, got the Elvis thing going on today. Jimothy James Dean, you looking fresh, bro. <laughs> yeah, got the pomp and pomp and everything going on, bro. We just went from six to midnight. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're posing. How you doing, man? Such a uh, <laughs> blue seal. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's always fun to talk about uh, talk about hair. But, uh, um, yeah, no, I'm doing all right, man. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Uh, and then, of course, we have the dirtiest of the dirtiest. Dirty Derek, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, buddy. You you had me at whores. So you had me at whores. I had to get... <laughs> yeah. Just uh, you said we were going to talk about whores, and then you're like, oh, the, the horrors of whores, and then whores houses. You know, I'm. it's just all about the whores. So, horses? <laughs> horses? Like stallions. Horses, too. <laughs> stallions. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Hor- horrors on stallions in horror movies. Horrors on oh. horses in horror. It's the three H's that are required for all yeah. epic horror. <laughs> the three H's. The three H's. Horrors. It's, like, it's, like it's like the alternative to Roger Corman, three B's of boobs, uh, butts, and, and blood. So. Oh, I thought it was bitches, but I digress. Anyway. Well, what? This turning into a mistake. Dogs. Dogs. I was talking about dogs. All right. Jeez. Why do you have to go there, man? Every time. Look, I, uh, what, what, I won't stand. What, what I'll say is, 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 is Dirty D is just a persona in which I play on this show and does not reflect the real life uh, values in which I hold dearly for men. Yes. There is way else. too much. Yeah, there was way too much. Bad, bad is you know, in movie goes and comic and comedians being like attacked today and charged with wow, that guy from that 70s yeah. show, oh Jesus Man. Christ, and then Chris oh, D'Elia. Chris D'Elia seems like a scumbag. Wait, wait, what was that? I didn't hear that part. I didn't hear that. Chris D'Elia, he, he, he's being, he's being uh, uh, accused, not charged, uh, accused of grooming underage girls. Um, you know, on that one, I'm waiting for more information to come out. But still, you know what I mean, like. But the Danny Masterson thing—that's been—he's yeah. been accused of that for. Yeah, like they just didn't have charges. Yeah. yeah, ever since like, uh, and it, you know, just for listeners too, it has nothing to do with Scientology. It just has everything to do with him being a creeper. Um, and a little bit Scientology. We're not well, look. Scientology does play a point in this because it's been Scientology's lawyers that have been fucking keeping that shit. You know, at bay. So we will have it no more. Scientology. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So it's, it's been a crazy day for uh, the movie and comedy comedian I world. I, yeah, I actually there was a, I listened to a whole uh, YouTube or, uh, podcast today about uh, they were they launched or said that they were going to be producing a Jeepers Creepers four. And there was oh, a whole wow. conversation about Victor Silva on there and like the separation of art and the whole all, everything we've talked about in the past. So I was like, Meh. heard it before because we talked about it. But yeah, um, it was very, it's very interesting to say. Yeah, which you know, which brings us to our topic today. Michael Jackson, did he do it? No, I'm just kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, moving on though. Um, guys, what did y'all watch? Shit ton. Yeah. A veritable shit ton. A shit ton, a <laughs> cornucopia of poopage by the ton. Um, Jimmy D. James Dean, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first because I'm. A lot of what I watched is actually like once again, it's just movies I've already seen. Um, uh, like I watched a lot of specifically '80s movies. Um, but I watched an '80s movie I've never seen before. Do tell. Called Zero Boys, the Zero Boys. Uh, oh. There's a punk band called the Zero Boys, and I, I somehow, and I, I find this is uh, should be impossible at this point, but there's an '80s horror movie. It's technically an action horror movie, but movie I 
didn't know about. Um, it actually stars um, the young sister from Night of the Comet. Um, blank on her the actress's name, but she's the female lead in it. Um, oh, uh, um, Carrie, uh, Kelly Mahoney. Kelly Mahoney, yeah. Um, wait. Is it Kelly Mahoney? Yeah. She's the younger sister? Yeah. Or either Stewart. Catherine Catherine Mary Stewart, Regina Bell, whatever. No, I'm, look, I'm looking at Zero Boys on IMDb. Yeah, for some reason that uh, Kelly Mahoney didn't sound right. I thought it was like Audrey something. But uh, um, but directed by uh, uh, Nico Masterikis, who I'm going to talk about one of our podcasts at some point. Um, but uh, it's it's a fun little movie. Um, it's kind of dumb. Uh, and it's it's dumb in that way 80s, a lot of low-budget 80s uh, genre films are. Um, it's a weird premise. It's like these guys do competitive paintball, but they don't call it paintball. And they don't really... It's a, it's a weird... They're like playing with these war games and like these, like... So that sort of explains why they're like badass. Like, so the, the, the basic premise is these guys and they're they bring their girlfriends out to this cabin that's uh, the first mistake out, right there yeah exactly well they go out to camp in fact they like to find the cabin but um and uh you know they're all paramilitary up like you know they, they're good at paintball but um they end up getting uh it's then it turns into like a slasher where there's actually a group of like hunters uh maniac mm. hunters who are hunting them um it's got some cool sequences in it um but you know it's it's not a it's not a brilliant movie, but I enjoyed it. And like I said, just knowing, uh, just knowing I'd never seen it before uh, kind of blew my mind. Um, but I watched that again. I watched a lot of, uh, um, you know, things I'd already seen before. But one thing I wanted to talk about is there's, so um, probably about five or six years old at this point, but there's a streaming service um, called Midnight Pulp. And they're like, everything they do, I love. Um, uh, they how it works is they have a free version and then like there's pulp plus which is like their premium service but um it was a thing case of the thing i was always like oh i'll check them out and i would never get around to it or i'd be like well it's like an extra cost like monthly cost that i don't have but i i, I recently just this uh two days ago i broke down i was like yeah let me pay for it even though most of the good i mean a lot of the good stuff on their streaming service is actually available um just for free for streaming um, there is commercials, and if you pay for the, the, the Pulp Plus premium subscription, then it, it gets rid of commercials even on the free stuff. But um, I, they have a ton of great stuff, and a lot of stuff I watched on there. Um, everything from like horror movies to exploitation movies, like sexy drive-in movies. Um, in fact, I watched um, uh, the, uh, this, as a big fan of Tokusatsu, we've mentioned this, which is Japanese special effects shows and films. Um, things like Super Sentai and Ultraman and all those things. Uh, they have a, and I can't even believe I watched it, but there's a thing called uh, Big Big Boob, Big Boob Sexy Squad, or yeah, Big Boob Sexy uh, 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 Rangers. Big Boob Sexy Rangers. Who is being misogynistic now? I know. Well, the thing is, I was like, how the turntables have turned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Please, well, please go on about the boob push. sexy squad. Yeah, so yeah, so I turned on because it was like stupid, but you know, um, but yeah, it's just stuff like that. So like, there's a ton of great anime. In fact, a, a lot of what I watched this weekend was actually horror anime. Um, okay. Uh, things from my childhood that I love, things like Wicked City, Human City, Shinjuku. Um, so there's a ton of really great horror anime. In fact, um, the late '80s, early '90s. Uh, there was a lot of really crazy, gory, graphic anime that had come to the States. Um, and I've been trying to find it streaming for a long time. Well, Midnight Pulp is the place to find it, apparently. So, yeah, um, so yeah I, watched the, I, I basically just kind of deep dove into that. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much, like I said, I watched uh, um, Brain Damage. I watched uh, Fast and Case. Um, I watched Fast and Case, too. Dude, can't go wrong, brother. No. Uh, preserved by MoMA, um, which is still weird. Um, but yeah, was, what about you, Derek? What did you watch? Yeah, so I, I, you know, 
had some time in my hands this week, and so I binge watched a lot of stuff. So I've been trying to catch things in a series. So um, I, I mentioned before that I was trying to uh, I was trying to watch all the Hellraiser movies, which I, I kind of got stalemated at because I was having a hard time finding one of them. So I was trying to kind of watch them sequentially. So I'm like, all right, I'll pause. I watched all three of the Cube movies. Um, so I don't know if you, have you seen any of those, James? Just the first uh, one. Just the first one? So I, I watched the second and the third one. Meh. Like, not <laughs> as good as the first one. The second one is like, it's called Hypercube. So it's basically like Cube but like a much more advanced version of the cube. So it's like space and time issues and, um, you know, people can be like stuck in time loops and uh, multiple realities in there. It's, it was more, it was way more sci-fi than it was uh, like in the first one, which was more like traps. And then cube zero, which is very like a very rudimentary cube. Um, and it was just like this weird premise about uh, like how people get into the cube. So there's a little bit of backstory. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting. Of course, I watched a bunch of 80s horror too. So I watched uh, I watched United the Comet, um, which it just never it never gets old. Um, my favorite. I totally forgot my favorite line from that movie um, is is when the younger sister is talking to the stepmom and she's like, "Susan, you were born with an asshole. Why do you need Chet?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, classic, classic eighties. Of course, you get bitch slapped like to the TV, right. and I was like, I was like, back when you beat your kids. Okay, right. um, so I watched Nightbreed. I watched the director's cut of oh, Nightbreed, so um, which I I always forget at the end. I'm like, why have they never made a follow up on this at all? Like, I don't even know if they've ever made like I even if it was a graphic novel continuation or there was uh, there actually was. So oh, was did a uh, yeah so now comics um which is an offshoot of marvel a long time ago uh they did a lot of licensed properties um they did um okay uh it was six issues um but i mean the problem is with that is because it's based off of like a short story uh you know um i don't know maybe clyde barker had some sort of say so over if yeah, I just they just like kind of leave. I they leave it at the end, and like they're like, "Oh, is he gonna be Cabal gonna be back? Oh yeah, he's gonna be back in the next wind. When the fuck is the next wind? Like they're all just hanging out in a barn. What happens? Tell me what happens. And then the guy with the big <laughs> head, the guy with the big head is off. The big head priest uh, is off to destroy them all. And I'm like, where where are you going with this, Clive? Like, tell me more. Uh, but I love that movie. It's a classic. Um, so he doesn't really get it. I was I hadn't seen the uh, director's cut, so there's a couple scenes in there that I, I hadn't originally seen as well. Then I watched the Ginger Snap series. Uh, so good, at least the first. Uh, one. The first one was good. The second one had a lot of potential, but the ending was just kind of weird. Um, and then the third one, which was like uh, like origins or like back to beginning or something like that, it was like the same characters, same story, but told in like the 1800s. So I was like, are you telling the same story again? But it's just like the same characters, same names, but they're set in like a trapper's camp in like the 1800s with a werewolf. And it was like obviously different time period, but it was like the same. Sorry, I don't know. The original is always the best and Catherine Isabel is awesome. So um, nothing more to say uh, about, about that. But the one thing I did watch that, um, that you had talked about was uh, Scream Queen on Shudder. Oh, cool. Um, which I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that kind of led me to the, the kind of the topic for tonight, um, was I didn't know what to think about it. Actually, by the time I was all done with it, I, I didn't know if I felt bad for the guy or if I felt like he was hanging on to a grudge, like longer than he should have, like. Um, so for, for any, any of our listeners who, who don't know, this is Dream Queen is basically the, uh, the story, um, of the main, uh, character in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um, I'm going to forget his name, so I'm going to look it up, um, cause I'm horrible things today. Um, so yeah, Freddy's Revenge, uh, yeah, uh, Mark, 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 Mark Patton. So if you, if you, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 has been dubbed, what is it classified as the gayest Nightmare on Elm Street movie ever? I personally like the movie. Um, I never watching it as a kid thought it was at all 
gay, just thought it was weird. Um, but it had Freddie in it, and Freddie was doing what Freddie does, and never really kind of took the context behind it that, or even the subcontext, which they use a lot in this. But the whole story was a, being, you know, in the 80s, um, being a, a closeted gay actor, um, and desperately not trying to be found out. He, he felt this film was written in such a way that it almost outed him when he wasn't ready to be outed. And that basically destroyed his opportunity to be a leading man in Hollywood, in Hollywood and, you know, basically caught him. His agents are saying, you know, you got to be a character actor because you can't play straight based on this major role. Um, and it was always denied that the, that the writer had written in the, the, the like kind of homosexual elements yeah. intentionally. But then later on, when it came out and it started being embraced by the GLBTQ community, um, people started loving the movie. Then he came back and said, well, there was, I did purposely write in that subtext, kind of taking credit for it. So um, Mark Patton, obviously, aside from having, I feel bad for the guy having a ton of health issues, HIV, flubonades, uh, tuberculosis, he had a whole bunch of basically living in Mexico to avoid, you know, uh, being recognized. Um, you know, on the brink of death, like, you know, kind of is making his comeback and embracing his role. Um, but for the longest time in the movie, you know, he just talks, you know, see, and I think he missed it towards the end. He kind of is blaming this writer for, for all of his problems when, like, probably all of his problems are related to the fact that, like, homosexuality was just not a very common or accepted thing in 80s movies, period, unless you're, like, the token, you know, flamboyantly gay best friend. Um, and obviously with the AIDS epidemic, that was even like a worse situation because people didn't want to employ you if you were, yeah. um, if you were, you know, out and, and, and a homosexual because they worried about getting AIDS and there was just a stigma behind that. Um, so it just got me thinking, I, one, I wanted to get your thoughts on, on the movie, but two, like, got me thinking, like, that was the 80s and there was obviously like, there were some things that were, looking back at all the 80s movies that were very like uncommon, like, homosexuality is very uncommon. I mean, you can find representation like in movies, um, you can find it in a lot of movies, but it wasn't, it wasn't um, as I call to attention, I guess, like in the eighties, things like killing kids were, you know, very, very rare. Like I remember watching the Blob remake and the fact that they killed a kid in that movie, like I was like, wow, they did that. Okay. <laughs> um, teenagers are different in slashers and things like that, but you never saw, in anything I can remember, you never saw Jason taking out any of the campers that were at camp. So they're just things that I think were like taboo and it got me thinking like, are we in this day and age like so desensitized or do we consider anything taboo these days? Because when I think something is taboo and gets thrown out there, you have a whole bunch of people that are like, nah, that's nothing. Like I watched it, that was fun, you know? Um, so it just got me thinking. So I just wanted, I thought, well, you know, this is kind of a good topic. We watch a lot of movies. I'm just wondering if there's things that like, you as a as a you know uh, film connoisseur of film like are just always off the table for you. Well, first let me. I, I will say watching it, he definitely seemed to. And I my thing is to watching the film was, is is the real person really putting this much of his. Uh, as, are they playing this hit up Mark's like kind of feelings towards this movie and what it did to his life? Are they playing this up in the movie for the for drama? Does he really feel this way? Because there there is a point where a reasonable person might be like, dude, like kind of let it go a little bit, or at least like don't. It, it's not just the writer's fault, like you know. Um, yeah, I think it won't play the. The director does that, right? Like he pulls yeah. him aside in that. In, uh, See, I thought, yeah, and I thought the yeah, director Jack, was kind of a dickhead, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, I felt like he came across as sort of um, uh, a little bit condescending. Like he could have, like I understand he, when the director had like that talk with him, where he's basically being like, he kind of came across kind of like a condescending prick and a little bit un, um, like kind of like your problems are your problems. Yeah. I was like, it's somewhere in between here. I feel like the real, but you know, when when you really think of break it down, like being gay in the eighties, losing your boyfriend to the virus, having your career basically disappear. Um, yeah, I'm sure that shit sucks. You know, uh, I I don't blame him for you know 
withdrawing and feeling. And again, too, like, especially, you know, if you look at it from the, the, the terms of, like, historically, like, we have perspective and we can see, like, you know, look, it wasn't that big of a deal, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, when you're in, when he's in that moment and you think his career's gone and, you know, you know he's, um, he can't be his true self and stuff, that sucks. I don't think, though, that that's fully at the feet of the film writer, you know, the screenwriter. Um, he did, that guy also seemed kind of like a prick. Uh, just with his whole ski, like he said, like, oh, no, it, I never intended to be gay. And then all of a sudden it's become Harold the Dead. Well, it, what I bothered me about him was he, he talked about how he was writing it as, like, um, homophobic. Yeah. And then he was like, and then it ended up being homoerotic because it was the, the actor. Right. And I was like, well, why would you write it homophobic in the first place? Like, I yeah, mean, why would it, you put that in subtext? Like, I forgot that was even his whole, yeah. And again, that's that's as douchey as it comes. But um, but I will say, you know, the things I liked about it was focusing on the, you know, like, again, I, I've defended the horror community to people. Um, as far as like, you know, we're not a bunch of Neanderthals, we're, we're not a bunch of, uh, you know, sociopaths and, but there is a big contingent of the horror community, which are just as ignorant and just as stupid and just as narrow-minded as anybody else. Um, you know, in the beginning of that, you know, watching all those comments online, you know, they kind of goes, you know, boil my blood because, you know, like I said, we're the horror community. The horror community should be the most open-minded, you know, as, as like a, the, a segment of, of art lovers of a specific style of art that's, has been judged for a long time. Um, you know, we should be above that ignorant, stupid shit, but it is what it is. Um, you know, uh, but the good part was seeing like the positive spin that's had on yeah. the community. I will say you said you didn't, you didn't see it as gay. I, when I, when I saw it as a kid, first off, it was always, tied for my number one favorite i still think it's got the greatest moments in the the franchise um mm -hmm. the fucking pool scene is the single best oh yeah any of the films. best best freddy freddy scene yeah, bar none next I, next to the roach scene yeah and i think the design for freddy is still the best i think the makeup was they it was still truly scary but cleaned up from the original makeup and didn't become too soft or too kind of cartoonish the way it got sort of ended up becoming a lot of things I love about it, but when I was probably about 12 or 13 years old, that's when you start going, like, for me anyways, I started seeing the sort of homoerotic undertones. Um, but again, you just assume, yeah, maybe that's intended. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, did I, I think it was, did I think it was weird that the, you know, that the, the gym teacher is, is at, like, a transvestite biker bar? Like, yeah, exactly. I know it was weird, but I also thought, like, in the back of my mind watching it, like, well, that's kind of, maybe that's, like, talking to you about, like, how you don't know your teachers after they leave school, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, well, that's the uh, thing, is that, that's how I took it, too, and, like, you don't know, it's not, like, a commentary about gay people as much as it is, to, like, in my head, it was, like, yeah, it's just, like, you don't know who these people, like, you can't assume that you see them as teachers, but you don't know who they are outside of school, the real people they are, and it wasn't, um, you know, uh, I mean, he was obviously the, the coach is a creep and like definitely yeah. uh, was, you know, uh, not a good person, but that had nothing to do with him being gay or in the BSM scene. Right. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting documentary. Um, I, you know, I definitely, I definitely know where all of your points. <laughs> I, I definitely felt a lot of that myself. Um, but, you know, I will say this uh, before we go too deep into uh, um, about like horror, like taboos and specifically horror movies. Um, you know, we're at a time right now where like uh, there's a lot of social issues, social justice issues, just a lot of crazy things happening in the um, in the world and in the public eye. And I definitely think film has always been one of the best ways to not necessarily address, like you're not going to solve all problems by in film or television, but you can you can use that. It's a powerful medium. It's a communication tool that reaches a lot of people, and I do think it's the responsibility of horror movies to stay on that pulse, to sort of be the the change, um, be the first to call it out. Um, 
yeah, uh, but I'll touch upon that point more later. But uh, yeah, I, I will say like yeah, I, I'll I have something to add to that later. There was a movie I I didn't mention, but like kind of very much falls into that category. We can talk about so. But did well did so, you know, you're talking about taboo. Was uh, what what are your first thoughts on it? I guess my my first thought is like it, it is. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that film is the one area that I that doesn't upset me. Um, I think like we have, I, I always feel that film is an escapism um, and kind of is dictated by the times we live in. So I think it's like, you know, a prime example of that, right? Is, so last night I was watching uh, Tales from the Hood 2. Um, and everybody who's seen Tales from the Hood knows that obviously the, the original like has, um, really every story has an overtone of like of, of racism um sprinkled in there and so this one obviously um was very much the same and it was funny because i i started watching it uh long a while back uh before the recent events and i was like i started watching it, i was like wow this is really like really heavy on the racism like super heavy but then I, I watched it again last night and I was like, wow, like it is really super heavy on the racism, but honestly, like it, it is so apropos with everything going on that it actually like, it actually stuck out with me way more than I think it would have like a couple months ago and in, in watching it. So I thought it was, it was really poignant that um, like, yes, there are movies that kind of tend to go like over the top, but for a very valid reason, because sometimes reality is very much over the top. Like, so we talk about, especially in recent days, like, you know, racism and white privilege, like, and there's a, there's one thing, obviously there's a variety of different ones. Um, the, the first one is, is about, obviously about dolls and it's uh, the golly doll. Um, and I, have you seen, have you seen Hills in the Hood too, James? Like, yeah. have you seen, okay. Yeah. So, you know, the first one, like they, they go back in and are basically making fun of all the, uh, you know, all the slave culture. It's uh it's, it's uh, two white people and their black friend and they're really just kind of making fun of it. And, you know, they, they basically, you know, get their, their just desserts um, in real life, uh, life-size kind of golly doll or black representation doll. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, takes advantage of that, which seems very ridiculous and like very like stereotypical, but at the same time, it's a very valid point of like this, this woman really just wanted to like to own and treat this doll like it was cute, but like didn't understand the value of it. Um, but I, I think the best one for me that really like hit home was uh, the kind of th the third or fourth one in uh, the sacrifice. And it was about a guy who's running, uh, helping the, obviously in Mississippi uh, run a campaign for what is a very racist individual in a very racist, uh, obviously a very racist area that still has very like prominent yet subtle like um tones of racism like sprinkled throughout the town like obviously he's he, he's a man of color yet he's like everybody at the constituent table is all white and they they make sure that they call out that like oh well like he's a man of color and he has this beautiful house this beautiful white wife and um but the whole idea was like this uh the ghost of this um this child who had basically been or teenager uh that had been uh, brutalized and killed uh, just just for being black and talking to a white woman and here it was in the future and basically saying like this is what I died for so you can campaign for uh, you know this this white guy here's what it would be like if the civil rights movement never happened and you know and then it's just the blatant racism and the, the KKK squad and while it seemed ridiculous I was like this is some people may watch this and be like this is way over the top but I watched it and be like this is a great medium to spread a message like because some of the stuff we hear is so ridiculous that it's like, why not put it on film? I feel like that's like the best avenue to reach people. Cause I watched that movie and I thought I legitimately as a horror, like as part of a horror anthology, like legitimately felt terrible at the end of that movie. And I was like, God, like that's such a powerful message in a horror movie that you could put and not in a movie that I would expect it to be a powerful message in. But um, yeah, so I think I, to your point, like I, I think there are some things to me that made me cringe a little bit I, I always having having kids like anything that has to do with children um you know always makes me cringe but at the same lines too like i also know 
that a lot of that reality exists out there. And so um, I feel like that's like, I don't want to watch it in the news. I'd rather watch it in a movie, but still call light to it. So. Well, and that's the thing, especially when you're talking about subtlety and being over the top, like, you know, horror is a, horror is a, a format where you don't have to be subtle. You can play over the top and make a really valid point or make a very like intelligent point because just the mechanics of horror, like kind of, you know, bigger sometimes plays better, um, especially when you're going satirical. But um, that's the other thing about horror though, too, is again, it, we, if, if that was in like a normal movie, like um, like a drama or whatever, some audience might find it as being preachy. Um, but because it's a horror movie and you add that element um, of, you know, the, the same, you know, blood and gore, people dying, the comedic elements, whatever, um, it doesn't feel as preachy. And that's why sometimes that stuff reaches a wider audience. Um, you know, and there's all kinds of, um, there's a million examples of horror being the first to sort of, you know, bring light to a topic or be the first to sort of, um, you know, uh, even even inadvertently uh, break some taboos. I mean, Night of Living Dead, the original Night of Living Dead is a perfect example of that. But, um, you know, I personally feel like, especially in, in horror, um, there shouldn't be taboos. Um, I think horror is the perfect genre to, you know, whatever. And again, there's, if you're, and I don't say this from like some edgelord, like, you know, uh, I don't give a shit. Like I'm saying horror movies can take an awful subject and say something with it that just because of the, the nature of horror, we are more forgiving for those kinds of things or, or, we expect it to kind of go past the boundaries that we set up. Um, like, you know, Serbian film, everybody talks about was a Serbian film being like so over the top or whatever. Um, but, you know, um, it, it, it proves that like, there's nothing in, you can't see anything in film, uh, especially if it's a fictionalized film, it's a, it's a, it's a work of fiction. You're not, you're not gonna see anything in a horror movie that's really gonna break you. Your mind is prepared for. You're 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 under the impression that it's a work of fiction, and that the uh, the directors or whatever are trying to do something to shock you or push boundaries. Um, so because of that, I think the strength of core is that you can go to those outer edges, those super outer limits of what's acceptable, and you can tackle things like child abuse, uh, racism, um, wh whatever the taboo it is. Um, you know, at this point, because of the internet, because of, you know, I, I grew up with rotten.com things and, um, we've become desensitized. Faces of death. Faces of death, traces of death. Um, I feel like at this point, the real taboos are things like talking about misogyny. That's going to piss a lot of people off. It's a lot of like women hating dudes or internet guys talk like, you know, Trolls. like get out. Yeah, like it's gonna piss a certain segment of people off, but we need to keep doing that so that those conversations keep going. But um, I mean, I don't think I can't. Is can you think of a modern taboo that like hasn't been put on film? I, I can't. So I, I actually, it's funny. Like I've been thinking all day. I've been scrolling through hundreds of movies just to see if there's anything that really like jumped out at me. I can't think of anything. That's why it got me thinking of like, there are so many things that are were weirdly taboo 20 to 30 years ago that like are just like commonplace now for, for film. And like, to your point though, I think that that's the one thing that I love. I love about the horror community is like, it's a very diverse group of people, right? Like you kind of know what you're getting into when you're sitting down for a horror movie and you're not expecting anything pretty. Like at the end of the day, I also feel it's a very accepting group. Like at the end of the day, so to your point, like you could take something like the topics that are discussed on like Tales from the Hood Two and put it in like a period piece, and it would be some people would see that's like way over the top, right? Or like they would have an issue with that. Um, but if you put that in comparison to like you're watching a horror movie, right? Like 
no, nobody would bat an eye at it because it's nothing worse than what you've seen in reality, right? Um, there's nothing you're going to put on a uh, put in a horror movie that's that to me is going to be any worse than stuff we've seen on the news recently, right? Yeah. Um, so, no, I, I couldn't even think of that, anything really off the top of my head because I thought, well, everything is really to a point, right? Um, even like I, I look at a movie like I look at a movie like it, right? In, in the recent it chapter two, um, where where it kills a little girl, right? Um, it's terrible, right? Like nobody wants to see children die, but at the same time, as you see, you see it coming a mile away, right? You have this is a this is a clown that eats children. Like it would be weird if it didn't eat children because that's what it does. Um, so I think even that like doesn't really catch the audience off guard. But I feel like if this was like twenty or thirty years ago, it would be. Like people be like, "What? You killed a child?" Like, ah, like, and and I don't think people realize. Like, we talked about this a while back about like cursed films and the Twilight Zone movie. Like, if people hadn't died on that on the set of that Twilight Zone movie, nobody would know that like there was a ton of child labor laws being broken. Like watching that movie. Um, so I mean, and I don't think a lot of people even knew that there was death in that movie. Like, if you're watching it 20 years later, right? It's not you're not watching it saying like, "Wow, wow, three people, three people really died." while filming that segment, um, you would have no idea until you saw a documentary that told you about it. So um, it's just not something I think that's at the front of people's minds. So I don't think they they care as much. Um, at the I end mean, there's, the there's definitely, I mean, I guess the, as I'm saying, like obviously the taboos are if you get very super political. Like I think at this point, um, you know, I think if a horror movie came out and the message was very anti-abortion, or if a movie came out and very homophobic, or obviously I think that would upset a lot of people, rightfully so. But I think that might be a taboo. Uh, I think even in in horror movies where, you know, openly di- discussing you know the devil and demonic you know entities or whatever, but if a movie came out and said um, you know Christian like just came out and said like the Catholic Church is bad or uh you know the muslim religion is bad if they if it get and it's i I think it's always about specifics anyways but i think if a movie came out and and made a stance and said like this particular religion is terrible i think that'd piss a lot of people off like we still do have taboos and people are going to be you know there's a lot of people that are still going to get upset but um but i think movies still i mean this kind of goes into a, a thing i wanted to talk about anyways which is um, so I guess this, this Houston filmmaker, um, was just accused of you as me too as well. Um, but he's one of the guys that produced and distributed, um, movies like Soblock, uh, Brawl and Soblock 99 and Bone Tomahawk. And uh, we've been, we've been kind of circling, I think we've been circling around this conversation for a while because I think yeah. we, we keep alluding to it. Um, yeah. but yeah. So. I mean, the thing is, like, I have a hard time, like, the message of driving across concrete is basically racist cops are heroes, which is a very problematic uh, message. Um, and the director never has never come out in one interview, interview and said, this is what I believe. He, he, his, he's always like, hey, I'm not, I, I'm not political. You know, I have a point of view, but I'm not political. I'm just trying to tell good stories. But each of his films gets progressively more and more of a certain viewpoint. Um, and it's, you know, there, I have a lot of friends that won't see his films. Um, the problem is, you know, I, why I may not agree with maybe what kind of moral message he might be, you know, giving out is uh, I enjoyed his first two movies. Uh, less, Drive, Across on, Drive Across Concrete, I didn't enjoy. But that was really the uh, Mel, Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn one, right? Yeah, exactly. Which, look at that cast alone. Kind of tells you everything you need to know. Uh, but, um, Jesus. Um, but, you know, Bone Tomahawk was great. Um, I had some, like I said, there's some criticisms out there against the movie as far as, like, its portrayal of Native Americans and blah, blah, blah. But, I saw a differently. Excuse me. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry, it's been, it's been a long day, but um, but I saw it a little differently than that. But you know, and then Subblock, uh, Brawl and Subblock '99 wasn't 
like they never say like this dude is a white power dude. Like they never say it. It's not even kind of get the kind of get the but, impression. But you kind of get that vibe from him a little bit. Um, but he's portrayed as this like ultra, you know, like obviously like like he's got his code of morality, and he, you know, so he's definitely portrayed as like this like as like a you know very moral upstanding dude who just happens to crush people's heads in prison. But um, but so there's a guy that's making very uh, controversial films. And to a certain segment of people, uh, his films shouldn't be viewed or they, you know, they don't support it. And while I politically might align myself with the, those, the people who, uh, basically like, I don't agree with, I, he hasn't come out and said what his politics are, but I think at this point they're pretty much laid out on the table. Right. I don't but think not, he needs to come out and say it because I think exactly. that the subtlety in his films yeah. Is not as subtle as probably he thinks it is. As he thinks it is, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, like as an artist, you know, I I can see where he's coming from, and I like artistically what he did in his first two movies. Like I said, Dragon Fest Concrete was was maybe me was kind of like me going, or it, it, it was the movie where I was like, okay, maybe I don't need to see this guy's movies anymore. But that's a bit of controversial, especially it's an internal struggle for me because I don't want to put my like if he is legitimately. Uh, harbors racism, uh, racist feelings or attitudes, or I don't want to support that. But again, there's an element of separating the art from the artist, um, you know, and that struggle like, do I continue to see this guy's movies even if I don't agree with him politically? Um, you know, so that's that's a weird thing for me. That's a thing in my end of the spectrum, which is kind of a taboo, like, kind of like going across political lines and maybe. You know, seeing something, viewing something that I might not politically agree with. Yeah, I think that's that's a tough one too, right? Because um, you don't want to give money to support somebody to make more films that are potentially racist or misogynistic or like have strange alt right views, right? Um, but at the same lines too, like a lot of times you can tend to support and I, and I'll use like the, we were just talking about this earlier, but like we'll, we'll use the, uh, the 70 show as an example, right? I watch every episode of that show. I binge watch mm-hmm. it when it was on Netflix. Like every time I watch that show, like I am giving Danny Masterson royalties. Now he's, he's, uh, you know, up on, you know, rape charges. Well, true, right. Not true, whatever the case may be, but it's still there. It's like seventh heaven, right? TV show Seventh Heaven. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the dad, dad, dad on that show, um, you know, admitted, um, you know, child molester. So they don't play the show anymore. So it's hard because, like, that is the action of one person on a set in a movie in a show that had hundreds of people work on it. Like, so does the rest of do I do I not watch it and not provide the rest of the cast? with views for what I deem a good show or a good movie yeah, be- because of that one person or do I kind of hold firm to my beliefs and not watch it at all and just say well fuck it like I, I don't want to give anybody any money that supports this you know I think yeah. the same thing can go for, your, go for your movies right like if I boycotted like every Harvey Weinstein movie I, I wouldn't watch a whole lot of movies you know uh, do I support what the guy did no um, we talked to this Victor Silva too like do I support the guy? The guy's a convicted and a convicted and, and tried and served a sentence child molester? 100% no. Do I watch Jeepers Creepers? Yes. I like the movie. Like, it's not great, but I mean, I still enjoy the first one. Um, I think, Derek, and, though, my biggest, my biggest, uh, my biggest complaint right now is that uh, I hope you're not saying that you like the show Seven Heaven. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, first of all, uh, it was Jessica Biel. Okay, so... Yeah. Um, I watched it for a variety of different reasons growing up. Um, but anyway, so the point is, so like, no, I don't think watch Seventh Heaven. Um, you love Seventh Heaven. It's I love it. Mary Camden. Oh, Mary <laughs> hey, did have did have the mom from Child's Play on it. So I just started out there, Kathy Hicks. So she was not being chased by a murderous doll. But maybe there's a second coming for her with the new Child's Play show. Real quick, Jessica Biel, because uh, I have to bring this up. Uh, yeah, she it, on that show. She was a fucking cutie pie. Uh, she was the first person, first girl in a, in a TV show in a long time where I was like, "What?" Like, um, but she's actually. Uh, I didn't talk about this, but 
uh, they had three seasons, but I watched the first two seasons of that show, The Sinner. Um, fucking great. And she's, she's one of the stars of the first series. She's great in it. She's an executive producer in the series. Each season deals with a different... It's got Bill Pullman um, as, like, the same cop, but each season's a different story, a different, like, kind of case he sort of gets attached to. But she's great in it. Um, so just wanted to throw out some Jessica Biel love. She did a phenomenal, like, acting. She was great. And like I said, she's produced on the series. Oh, and right. uh, I think if you're a fan of this show and you like kind of true crimey fiction, um, crime fiction but yeah, it's good. I am I, do, I am I do and I like Jessica Beale so all, all great things um but yeah to that point I mean you know it's just yeah the short seven heaven though there's a there's a lot of other shows and movies out there and the, Co- uh, the Cosby show I mean Cosby, yeah Cosby show I love the Cosby show exactly and and, and who do you I mean like just because I mean like uh, Obviously, the main—I mean, the main actor, Bill Cosby, in there. Um, but I mean, does that, does does Raven Simone get penalized because of his actions? I mean, those syndication checks—I mean, those are pretty. That's a big chunk of of, of people's livelihoods. Like with sitcoms in the nineties. Fuck Raven Simone too. I, I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, okay, like right. other. Theo. Okay, Lisa, Theo. Lisa, yeah, what a Theo. Bonet. Can we say Lisa Bonet? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, That's why, hey, you can still watch A Different World. Um, You can. Look, this is a perfect example, and I have this conversation all the time. If I think of a specific case of this, it would be Roman Polanski. Uh, A terrible human being, but a fucking genius. Um, He's a genius. He's one of the few rare geniuses. Woody Allen's the same, but Woody Woody Allen didn't make any horror movies. Roman Polanski did, so he's more relevant to this podcast. But Roman Polanski... um, as a fucking genius filmmaker. I like the majority of films he's ever directed. Um, he's a terrible human being. And I do not want to financially support him. Will I watch it streaming? Sure. But I, you know, I try not to give any money to his estate. Now, like you said, though, you know, does that mean that, you know, every hardworking character actor and star and, you know, crew person doesn't deserve it? Again, it, that's a weird, that's a very, that's a question that can't you really can't answer. There's no moral. Right. It's, it's impossible it's, to answer. It's it's hard because like, would you? Yeah, I it, I don't think there's a, there is a right or wrong answer to it. Honestly, like, and I mean that's a great thing about movies is you can very much choose to not watch it, right? Yeah. Um, you can absolutely say like I and I totally agree with you. It, if there are directors, filmmakers like that I don't agree with or movies that I just don't want to put money behind, like. I'm sure they get their money even if I watch it for free on Tubi or Voodoo or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like, I'm not buying it, but I'm watching it. Like, they're gonna, they're probably going to get some royalties some way, shape, or form, right? Um, but I don't feel like I'm directly reporting to the cause. Maybe that's part of the problem, but um, that's I mean, the one, moral dilemma. Devil, devil's advocate on that is one, also, like, like, you know, if, like, the CEO of Papa John's Pizza comes out and, you know, drops N-bombs, and we don't, we as, you know, rational adults go, I'm not going to fucking support that company. We're not really concerned about the fucking 16, 17 year old kids working the counter and making the pizzas. We've made a moral decision. Like we can't, we're not, we, we can't have responsibility to make sure everybody's employed. Uh, that would be impossible. But, yeah. you know, that is, but it is a weird point. Um, I do have to love say this though. I love me some Papa John's though and I, I miss it. I like the uh, garlic dip and sauce. That's all. Me too, right? Um, uh, the I, I, go ahead. No, you can go ahead. Well, no, I I think uh, Daniel Radcliffe said it best because uh, he's he's been uh, harping on uh, I, uh, J.K. Rowling, yeah, uh, a lot because of uh, you know things she said about the trans community, you know whether you agree with it or not. Um, I, I and I think you I, one of y'all might have said it too. I mean, it's, it's separating the art from the artist. You know, like you can still appreciate the art and not. I mean, granted, it may be supporting in some some sort of way. Uh, to the artist, but I, I still believe, I mean, that that art's still beautiful. It's still a great creation, regardless of, of the piece of shit who created it. And I, I think that, and I think to Daniel Radcliffe's point, he goes, I don't, I don't want it to take away from what that, that feeling that you got by reading this or watching our movies, um, because that's yours and that belongs to you now, you know, and no one can take that away, regardless of the author or the authors or the creator's standpoint or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and that's a great current example. And, you know, like that, 
I'm not going to open up a can of worms and get into you much. Right. But I, I think, you know, um, it's hard to, like, if you're a member of a community and you're a fandom, like, if I watched, you know, if I was a young Jewish kid and I'm watching Fright Night, one of my favorite movies ever made, and then midway through I find out the director was an anti-Semite, it would break my heart, man. Like, it would legitimately break my heart. Yeah. And, like, so we sometimes we also just have to. He wasn't, realize. though, right? No, I don't think so. Okay, no, all right, well, all right, just. It's a. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. He wasn't. This is a hypothetical, right? Like, yeah, it's just a hypothetical. So, they, okay. Sorry, Tom Holland, not to accuse you. <laughs> Tom, uh, you're on the clear. You're in the clear, buddy. We still love you. But, you know, <laughs> real quick, I do have to say, like, yeah, I, I brought up the uh, horror community earlier. And like I said, you know, I've been in the part of this community for a long time and social media, you know, as long as I've had social media. And I've met some of my best friends through it and I've met amazing people. But like anything, there's going to be a segment of the population that are fucking real dumb. Um, a lot of things I love, pro wrestling, heavy metal, um, even the punk scene. Like there's a lot of like just dummies out there. Um, but I... There's this whole segment which drives me fucking crazy with the horror community. Besides the edgelords. Edgelords need to fucking die. Like, if you think that watching a horror movie makes you some sort of badass, uh, that, oh, I don't get, like, fucking throw yourself off a bridge. Huh? Anyways, that's a little harsh. But anyways, but there's this whole thing, this argument I see constantly, which is, keep politics out of my movie or out of horror. And I'm like, you dumb shits. It's, politics has been a part of horror since horror started like it's the same thing like metal punk like all these dickheads just because they just because you're a close-minded piece of shit you don't like people calling you out on it doesn't mean like it's it's like racist star trek fans it's like do you did you did you see this show do you know anything about this show and about gene runberry like keep like anyways it's a whole that's a whole other conversation um but but i kept seeing this thing like oh don't, i don't want to hear about politics you know, horror movie, like, horror, like this, this fucking idiotic thing. Uh, no lives matter. Horror movie should, they, everybody gets killed. No, but it's like, you're missing the point, you <laughs> dumb shits. Anyways, sorry. I'm, I'm, it, I, it's I, like, I, you're like, like somebody's like, oh, horror doesn't have any political, but like, have you ever watched a fucking uh, George Romero movie? I've like, been at all? Like, I mean, like social, social commentary, consumerism, racism like one of the first main black protagonists in the movie I mean, and what do they do at the end they they kill him they lynch him you know um throw him on a fire i mean even everything there's 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 messaging in every single going back to hunchback and Notre day and going back i mean frankenstein there's political messages or social messages in every piece of important fiction in, this, in the genre so to, to claim that there isn't or to be blind to it is astounding to me but like I said, we're in a gro- we're in an era where there's some growing pains right now, and but you know, um, but I think I said it doesn't matter because eventually, or not eventually, but forever, film and specifically horror films, they're always going to be addressing these things. They're always going to be bringing it up. They're always going to be like looking the hard, like looking the really ugly fucking truths about society in the face, um, and that's what we need. We need them to keep doing it. We need the the films that continue to sort of ask those questions and push those buttons uh, make us uncomfortable, like like that fucking mirror that we have to sort of see ourselves in. Um, and that's good. That's what the, that it should do. It should continue to challenge. It should continue to push the boundaries. And it should continue to to break taboos. That's what it's there for. So, so true. Could not have said it better myself. Yeah. So essentially, we're rounding it out by saying nothing is off limits. <laughs> I mean... Like, I mean, I, mean I, I would I would find it very hard to watch like a like a Hitler sympathy sympathy movie somehow. Say, so again, that's <laughs> the thing. Is, so it's not about the message; it's how you do it. Um, because again, anything, you could just put a you you could you could like put out an actual snuff movie and be like, "Oh, it's a horror movie." Well, I mean, it's about how you do it. It's about how you, like. But that's the thing: is it takes responsible, uh, yeah, intelligent. I mean, I mean, in, I mean, theory, you you could you could make a make a Hitler hero movie where he's a protagonist and and survivor and winner, and it could be an alternate reality, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, they tried that with that one movie when he was that imag- uh, that imaginary character. What was it? Oh, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, did you see the? Movie? He wasn't real though. 
No, yeah. he, was, he was never, you know, he was never the good guy. Um, uh, but that's the thing. And that's the last thing I'll say about the subject, though, is too. And that's the great thing about horror movies or movies in general. You can make whatever point you want. But, it, you know, eventually the audiences and history are going to decide whether or not uh, your film or you are worthwhile or uh, worth completely worthless. So if you want to make a movie where, you know, you sympathize with Hitler and, you know, you make excuses for the ho- the Holocaust, go, go ahead and make that movie and see what happens. Like, go ahead and make that movie. I mean, well, I will say, I will, I will say that uh, that Future Man did have an alternative version of Osama bin Laden. So I'm just throwing it out there, but it was great. It was well done. It was well done. Um, but yeah, I, I, to your point, it's you know to, to wrap it up. It is it is just all in the way you portray the story um, and the message you're trying to send, right? And if you get somebody um, that has obviously a very clear agenda within their movie. You can choose whether you want to put money towards that movie or watch or support it, um, knowing what it is. Like sometimes you don't know getting partway through a movie. Great, you watch something unknowingly, not understanding the context of it. Don't watch it again. Like if you don't want to support it, if you do want to support it, then watch it a million times. Buy it on DVD, buy it on Blu-ray, but know where you're putting your money behind. But to your point, at the end of the day, we're just you know people are telling stories. They're going to tell it from their lens in the lens of the world around us. And that lens is not always going to line up with what, what you envision a movie should be. Um, right. Like, you can go for anything. Right. Um, so. Yeah, I agree. Great. Great. I mean, that's a very, very great topic that we talked about. Oh, y'all, y'all talked about today. I would say I didn't have too much input, but as always, it's glad. I'm, I'm glad to hear y'all's perspective on something like this. And it's actually, you know, it's, uh, it's true to everything that's going on today right now as James rocks out with his climb out. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a very, it, it's it's a touchy subject, too. You know, a lot of people are like, well, in, in, you know, they're scared to appreciate the art, you know, in fear of being, you know, like, you know, like crucified for it, you know, just because, I mean, it's not necessarily the support of the artist or, you know, I mean, and, and on the lighter side, too, like, I think about something like The Mist, where Homeboy just blew, like, his kid's heads off, you know what I mean? Like, and granted, it doesn't show it, but it was like, holy shit, that was like a, a real feeling that it it, it it elicited out of me when I first saw it. Yeah, I mean, I got a text from my brother uh, when he finished watching it, and he was the best I think I've ever heard him. Like, he was pissed because I had recommended it to him. And, uh, you know, he was basically saying, like, how could they do this? This is that's so fucked up. And I'm like, yeah, it's a movie. It's supposed to elicit a reaction. Right? Yeah, it's exactly what it did. Like, uh, yeah. but even like eight millimeter, granted, it's not a horror movie. I mean, the it's whole adjacent. Oh, god, yeah, it is. I mean, it it's really, horror, but it's got some horrific shit in it, so yeah. That's anyway, Apex Twins. Uh, oh, yeah, with the machine. Oh, my god, as soon as that whole sequence, are, I get tense every time. I, I think I, I've said it so many that's how I was introduced to Apex Twin. Uh, like I was like in fourth grade when that movie came out, and I was like, "Who is this band? I want to know." <laughs> Give me that soundtrack. Yeah, it was awesome. No, honestly, like that soundtrack's badass, and Aphex Twin is so underrated. Uh, fucking music videos are. Yeah, it, so the the DJ Richard James, it's one guy, and he has this weird look to him, but he distorts it even more, and he just puts his face on these like children in that video. It is well, and all the all his CDs too, like all his CD covers are of his face, but like some distorted, like the one on his like like this like a like a swimsuit model, and then oh man, it's it's uh, I love Aphex Twin. If one of my favorite songs is Avril Fourteenth, um, y'all, I am I, I encourage everyone to listen to that song. Anyway, all right, uh, but yeah, any last sentiments before we go, guys? No, man, just, uh, you know, be safe, uh, be cool, yeah. be, uh, be, you know, be good people. Be good people. Yeah. yeah, love peace and chicken grease, you know. Uh, follow us on Spotify. Oh, go ahead. What are we going to say, Derek? Say makes the world go round, you know? It is, man. Oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, great conversation today. Uh, follow us on Spotify. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Follow us on the social. Uh, with the tweeters and the grams 
at Tankrod Pod, uh, specifically for this uh, for Texas Podcast Massacre. You can use hashtag TP Massacre or uh, hashtag uh, Tankrod Pod. Uh, but yeah, uh, we're on the road to 100 episodes. Uh, I'm really excited about that. It's going to be great. Man, you know, this whole episode, we've been talking for about an hour. Your hair has not moved an inch, good sir. It is, it, it is no product in there. It looks great. Keep it up. That's right. Hey, I know our audience can't see us, and I'm not trying to embarrass you by any means, but it looks like your face is slimming down. I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah. I have lost 18 pounds. Hey, you keep it up. Good job. Spelt, buddy. Spelt. Keep it up. Keep it up, man. Keep up the good fight. Thank you again for listening to Tank, uh, the Texas Podcast Massacre. For Jimothy James Dean and Dirty Derek, I'm Tank Rodriguez. We'll see you on the next one. Hey. Sup, sup, sup. Suck a dick. Hey. <laughs>